Hi, I'm Dave O'Neill. I'm Kitty Flanagan, and we're from the Sweet and Salty Roundabout, also known as The, the junkies. junkies. So please tune in. If you're listening to Ingredipedia with uh, Ben and Emily, you'll probably like our show. Yeah. We do. We talk about lollies, chips, chocolate. Yeah. They probably talk about better food than we oh, do. They've a better got some, class of food. They, they've got some great episodes here. I've yeah. just been having a bit of a listen. Very good. In fact, I'm going to steal some of the ideas. Anyway, whatever. If you need a sugary break, switch yeah. over to The Junkies. The Junkies, where you find all your podcasts. Ben, did you miss the memo? Where's your prawn-themed clothes? Oh, God damn it. I got a crab shirt, actually. I could have <laughs> oh, worn damn. that. Could have been crustacean I don't, I don't have a, any prawn clothes. Emily, do you? Uh, there you go. You do. Yeah. I've got my sequin prawn jacket. That is a jacket. It's a. I'll describe it because this is this is audio. Um, mm-hmm. It is a pink denim jacket. It has a sequined prawn, uh, a sequin and uh, embroidered prawn, and on the back it says "hardcore prawn." Mm. It's one of the best things I own. It's a genius. It is genius. Well, it's got a prawn. It's got a pun. It's a good-looking jacket. Just. On its own, mm. aesthetically. Yeah, it's pink and red and yellow in Greedopedia theme. <laughs> We're setting the bar high with our fashion, at the very <laughs> least. Probably not our facts, but let's All right. see. Hi, you're listening to Ingredipedia, Australia's freshest food podcast. I'm Ben Birchall and I'm joined by Emily Naismith. Hi, Em. Hi, Ben. We're talking about prawns. Well, yeah, I mean, it's prawn, it's prawn season. season. Yeah. I, I did look into that, like, is there some, was there some reason that Australians eat prawns at Christmas beyond the fact that they're just in, in season and they're fresh and it's a, it's a hot day, but it didn't seem to be like, you know, there wasn't like a restaurant that's decided to do prawn, you know, Christmas dinners or anything like that. It just sort of happened. Yeah. It's tradition, I guess. Do you eat prawns at Christmas? So many. Yeah. I am like possessive of them. Oh. I will. Yeah. And the pile of prawn shells on my plate afterwards is, uh, I'm the winner, I would say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good to know. Well, uh, stick around for my first fact. Ben, it's Christmas Day. Your mum passes you the big bowl of prawns and you put some on your plate. Mm-hmm. How are you peeling them? Talk me through it. Uh, put a thumb in between the head and the thorax. Is that is that the right? Just just in general. Just in general. I, I'm yeah. I'm gonna rip off the head. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm gonna sort of run my thumb down the belly and sort of peel from the inside out mm-hmm. and take the shell off. Um, probably not gonna bother taking out the poo tube because that's where the flavor is. Yeah. And then I'm going to smash that thing and then probably suck on the head and get all the goodies out of that because all that brownie, goopy stuff is um is is joy. Interesting. Okay. So you eat the poo shoot and that's what I want to talk about. To remove or not to remove, mm. that is the question. Look, sometimes I do. It depends how defined it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I grew up not removing it. Yeah. I just thought it was like a vein or something. I didn't really think about it. And then I remember I was eating prawns with people other than my family one day and they were all removing it, acting like it was like a disgusting thing, Mm. like the poo shoot. So I felt like I should do it from then on, like societal pressure. But is society correct? (laughs) That's a good question. So firstly, the name of the poo shoot is the intestinal tract of the prawn. Okay. It's not a vein. Or 
but I guess, you know, it is a shoot for prawn poo. But for the sake of clarity, I'll continue to refer to it as the poo shoot. Thank you. Um, so to point to a cultural culinary cornerstone of this country, MasterChef, there was a huge debate about this in 2016 when a contestant served a prawn dish with the poo shoot still in the prawn mm-hmm. and George, the, George Columbaris, the judge, refused to eat the prawn because the poo shoot put him off. Mm. Okay, So he said put him off. But is his fear valid? According to an article in the Canberra Times, the short answer is no. The only reason to remove it is for cosmetic reasons. They Mm -hmm. say cooking the prawn kills whatever bacteria might be present. The only thing you might notice, and more noticeably in large prawns, is a little grittiness. Mm -hmm. So that's the theory. But let's try it out. So I've got some prawns that I peeled like an hour ago. And we can compare eating them with the poo shoot in and with the poo shoot removed. Okay. So what should we do first? Let's do in. Okay. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's a big one. That's the kind that I would probably normally remove. <laughs> but let, yeah, let's go. Okay. Actually got a tiny bit of grit. Mm. I've got... I think the Peugeot got stuck in my teeth. <laughs> yeah, I got some grit, but mm. I also got... I mean, there's a funky flavour about the Peugeot that I kind of uh, I like. Okay. We'll try with that. All right. My first one was either a better prawn in general mm. or it really did t- change the flavour. I reckon it changed the flavour because it, it had that kind of funky prawn head flavour. Yeah, it, it felt it was sweeter as well mm. with the poo shoot in. Yeah, it did have a slight grittiness that the second one didn't. So the, the without the poo shoot, smoother overall, Yeah, but kind of without that funky prawn head flavour. Which is great because no one can be bothered removing the poo oh shoot. So let's it slows m- you down. Let's make a pact, everyone, to never do it again. And enjoy better tasting prawns and also have more time to peel more prawns. Um, yeah, it sounds like you don't need any help by the mountain of prawn <laughs> shells on your plate that is come true. Christmas. Okay, Emily, I know you like prawns, so I've got a little something for you. Oh, my God. Wow, it's the 1970s. Uh, can you... Or is it 80s? <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about it. Okay. What, what do you see before you? I see... A prawn cocktail mm-hmm. um, in a wine. Well, I'm actually it's, I don't. I I see a wine glass a, yeah. with a little tiny dip yeah. perched in top in the top, and then I see all the prawns dipped in and hung over the yeah. wine glass. So what's happened is accidentally the tiny dip that came with <laughs> my store bought prawn cocktail. Oh my god! And Coles <laughs> yesterday. Store bought. Store bought. <laughs> Do they give you the cup? No, I bought the cup separately. Oh, oh my god! And then when I was assembling it before, the little dip sits in perfectly. So you could put in the bottom. You could put some avocado and yeah. you know, some cos lettuce. But could you get the dip out uh, of the? Now I couldn't get the dip no. out. <laughs> no, the, the dip stuck in in that plastic wine glass. But yeah, you, what you see in front of you is it's a prawn cocktail, uh, artfully arranged prawns in a circle. In a wine glass with mm. some pink sauce, um, which is uh, essentially a ketchup and mayonnaise mix in Commonwealth countries. It's also called Murray Rose sauce. It's named after a, 
a ship that was being salvaged. That's a whole other story. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, or it's more a ketchup and horseradish sauce in the United States. Uh, some recipes might have Worcestershire sauce or hot sauce or vinegar or cayenne pepper or lemon juice. That's what a, a prawn cocktail is. Yeah, right. It had its height of popularity between the 60s and the late 80s and it started to kind of wane. Then it became laughably passe, but has recently been revived as part of the retro revival um, in in some of those kind of fine dining restaurants. This is from from Broadsheet. The prawn cocktail is a signature at Gimlet's Old World Sibling Bar, Apollo Inn. I haven't been there yet. I've been to Gimlet, but not Apollo Inn. Uh, It's a fancy bar in Melbourne where it's served with horseradish sauce, a fresh salsa verde and crisp curly endive and lacto-fermented hot sauce on the side. It sounds delicious. So it's it's had its revival, uh, and it's 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 on you the sh- up again. You should have got me that one. I maybe. probably could have. <laughs> didn't get you that one. Sorry about that. But so yeah, where did it come from? Why am I able to buy this from Coles? Artfully arrange it in a plastic cup for you. So describe. I've never seen this at Coles. Is it like in a box or a packet? It's just in a packet. It's just a packet of prawns, and you get the sauce with it from the fridge section. From the fridge section, yeah. Where there's sometimes there's a bit of. Uh, there's, you know, some salmon fillets and, right. you know, your John West packaged it. fish. There'll be some packaged prawns and some of them will have some cocktail sauce as it's, as it's billed. Um, so why can I do that? Why is it called a cocktail? Why is it in a glass, a plastic mm. cup in this case? What is the story behind the prawn cocktail? So I've gone... To the history books, I've actually gone to an article in the Chicago Tribune by Nick Kindlesberger, um, who is talking about the fact that the prawn cocktail actually did start as a drink and it started as a drink without any prawns in it. So in this article, he says, on Thursday, July 4th, 1889, the Chicago Daily Tribune, as the paper was then known, reprinted an article from the New York Sun titled Gastronomical Tips from California. The text mostly focuses on the ramblings of a San Franciscan man at Del Delmonico's, a popular restaurant just a few blocks from Wall Street in New York City. Um, it's still open today. What's strange is how the man describes the oyster cocktail uh, not as a dish but as a drink. Yes, a dash of absinthe is good in a cocktail, but there is a cocktail we get in San Francisco that knocks out any of your cocktails. It's the oyster cocktail. The unnamed man then goes on to detail how to construct the concoction. Put half a dozen to a dozen small oysters into a goblet or beer glass with enough liquor to cover them. Salt, pepper, catsup, it says there, ketchup. A dash of Tabasco sauce, half a spoonful of Worcestershire, two or three spoonfuls of vinegar, and sometimes a pinch of horseradish. Stir it up with a spoon and drink it down. The oyster cocktail is as much of an institution in San Francisco as the whiskey cocktail is here. Surely they're not the same oysters that we're familiar with because that is a lot of oysters to fit in a glass. Well, oysters were... Yeah, I mean, what does he say? A dozen oysters in a glass. If it's like a beer mug, like a stein, you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, oysters were like working man food in those days. They weren't fancy. They were really around there. And um, this this drink is actually backed up by our faves, the Australian Food History Timeline. Uh, In Australia, the oyster cocktail seems to have first appeared as a drink. In 1890, the Evening News in Sydney published the following recipe. Take a cocktail glass of oyster juice and after putting in a few drops of Worcestershire sauce, add a little vinegar, season with salt and pepper and serve. So they're just saying use the juice. So you just, all oh right, like that would be like really salty. That would probably be really nice. I love it when you get <laughs> oyster juice, like seawater basically in your oyster. Yeah. So good. Bit of liquor. Yeah. So uh, so at this point in the late, 18, uh, late, late 1890s, it's a drink with oysters in it. 
So where do the prawns come in and how does it get to, to where we are today? Back to the Chicago Tribune. You hear of the oyster cocktail served pretty frequently through the 1930s and then less and less. And it seems to have petered out in the 1950s as pollution took its toll of oyster beds and oyster prices shot up. The reduction in oysters also coincided with the time when the modern shrimp industry kicked into high gear. Australian food history cites seafood cocktail recipes uh, with prawns in them from 1928 and 1936, so it matches up there. Uh, and then um, we skip to the 1950s. According to the Golden Gate Casino in Las Vegas, they are responsible for its of popularity. Of course, it's Las Vegas. I think I remember as a kid having them in Las Vegas and thinking I was like so sophisticated. Well, um, I remember having them in uh, the Gold Coast. So Surfers yeah. Paradise is our Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, yeah, they say that uh, the Golden Gate managing partner, Italo Gelfi in 1959, introduced the 50 cent shrimp cocktail as a promotion. Um, the dish was an immediate success and drew large crowds from everywhere, leading the Golden Gate to keep it as a permanent feature of the resort. People from all over the world were interested in the Las Vegas shrimp cocktail because it was simple, easy to get and unique to Vegas, something people didn't eat every day at home. Mm. Uh, and then it becomes dinner party fare. It becomes sort of fancy restaurant fare in the late 60s through the 70s, through the 80s. There's a um, food timeline's got the... Uh, uh, the menu from a, a Brisbane theatre restaurant uh, um, from the 1970s and there's a prawn cocktail on there. Um, and so here we are, still in a glass. Uh, this glass is made of plastic. It's still called a cocktail, but it's a long way from its boozy oyster start to the pink concoction that I bought ready-made from Coles yesterday. So maybe go a little bit easier yeah. if you like and smash this. Well, I kind of want to because I want to get the taste, but I also really don't want to get food poisoning. I mean. So it's been on ice. It's been on ice. Since you came from country Victoria. I came from country Victoria (laughs) um, this morning. I bought it yesterday. Look, I'll go. I'll see how how funky this tastes. Well, I've only got food poisoning once in my life. I may as well get it. I don't know if it's zesty because of the. Is it the botulism? (laughs) Is it the bacteria or is it the sauce? sauce? (laughs) <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do have a, another one we'll, and find out We'll do a follow up episode <laughs> Maybe if we survive Ben, who's the bigger bogan, me or you? <laughs> I'm going to go you Okay, well I think to be fair We both have strong bogan Yeah uh, Undertones, I yeah. would say, from growing up yeah. in the suburbs Yeah. Your bogan side if you'll allow me to describe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, Viennetta, La Porchetta, Meat Lovers Pizza, Footy. Yep. Um, Ikea. <laughs> that... Your Southern Cross tattoo. <laughs> hey, it's artfully arranged around my Ned Kelly <laughs> tattoo. Come on. My Bogan side, Macca's, getting excited about going to Kmart, kind of liking Horses by Daryl Braithwaite. Do you? Um, mm. Knowing all the words to K-San. And also having an air fryer. Oh, yeah, okay. Which is what I want to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Air fryer sesame prawn toast. Oh, okay. So is this a yum cha favourite for you? Obviously not air fryer, but sesame prawn toast. Uh, it's actually not one of the ones that I normally get. Yeah. But mainly because it's pretty bulky and at, at yum cha, you know, you want to make your choices well. You don't want to sort of... Mm, the bread's usually so thin. That's but true. It's... I, I really like it. I love yeah. heaps of... It's less a yum cha thing and more a country Chinese restaurant. That's true. That's true. I would definitely order it in 
Colac at a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. There is a very, I can't remember what it's called. Anybody from Colac, email me and let me know. Eating some very good Chinese food in Colac. Yeah. So it's a Cantonese dim sum dish from Hong Kong. And interestingly, it's like an early version of fusion food because it combines f- prawn paste, which is common in Hong Kong, and toast, which is obviously like a Western food. But basically it's prawn paste on white bread dipped in sesame seeds and then deep fried. So if listeners have listened to our oil episode, you know that I technically overcame my fear of deep frying. Mm. Um, But things have regressed and now I'm kind of too scared to do it again. And also I am an insufferable air fryer person. I try not to. So I tried making it in the air fryer, but a few hours ago. Exciting. Yes. All right. It's not warm and it went a little bit soggy because I had to. Well, you had to wrap it up before it was. Ah, It was so crispy when I got it yeah, out, which okay. is like the That's freaking right. point of an air fryer. I'll take your word for it. Air fryer toast, air fryer prawn toast. Okay. Go. Oh, there's no crunch. That's so disappointing. Oh, my God. It's not, I, I don't even want that to be a finger. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I, I used rice different. sourdough because <laughs> I didn't have white bread and I didn't want to buy it. I can imagine it would work, though. I think I've got a crunchy bit of crust. Was it fresh out of the air fryer? Fresh out of the air fryer. It looked really good. Was it restaurant standard? Because I can imagine No, it, was... it wasn't restaurant standard, oh. but it was pretty good. <laughs> it would be better deep fried. Like, everything is better the, deep fried. How did you make the prawn paste? Okay. I, I made it... some garlic and stuff in there. It's yeah, I made it with prawns... Ginger, garlic, soy sauce, Mm -hmm. and then just put that in the food processor and then spread it on the bread and then put some oil on top. Oh, sorry, dipped it in sesame seeds, then put some oil on top and then put it in the air fryer for like eight minutes. It's delicious. And yeah, look, maybe it's worth getting an air fryer if you can do this, but I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> I don't have enough room with all the Ikea that I bought. I was going to bring an air fryer in so I could make them fresh. I felt like that's, that's too far. Too far, too far. Interesting you talked about deep frying and the fact that you didn't do it. Oh, my God, prawn crackers. I did some deep frying. These are the best. Yesterday for you. So I think they're kind of like day old but... Um, and, mm. and the cheapest that you can buy from yeah. the supermarket, you know, this double phoenix prawn crackers. It's so satisfying. Crab and chips rot. Deep frying food. them. Because it's yeah. like they grow. It's like they're magic yeah. toys. Yeah. It's so much fun. Did it with the kids. They loved it. Um, yeah. Probably shouldn't let my four-year-old deep fry, but that's okay. Follow <laughs> the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this is standard. Like this is sort of like food court Chinese restaurant yeah. standard. Prawn cracker, yeah, and still pretty good. Eating them in the car home with dad out of the plastic bags, so good. And they're one of those foods that are kind of everywhere um, in China. And forgive me, um, Mandarin speakers, uh, they're known as um, it's like xiaopian, um, and they're more of a supermarket snack. There, you get them in a in a plastic bag. They're less of a restaurant food, um, but they are served with Chinese takeaway in Australia, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands. Spain, the United Kingdom, and Ireland. Uh, in Indonesia and Malaysia, they're called krupuk udang, 
they're called Krupuk in Holland with a different spelling. They're called Kropik in the Philippines. Uh, they're called Ban Phong Tom in Vietnam, but they're more likely to be cuttlefish than prawn and other varieties. So they're, they're kind of everywhere. They're an international food. Um, so my question is, who did them first? Mm. And I have to tell you, just like the Bawan Goring revelation in our onion episode, prawn crackers or krupuk udang might, and I repeat, might be from Indonesia. Okay. Or Explain Malaysia. yourself. But close enough. Okay. This is from the South China Morning Post. Prawn crackers are as ubiquitous and as popular in Southeast Asia as potato crisps are in the West. They are, however, more than a snack and predate the crisp. As far as we know, they appeared first in West Malaysia in the 16th century. Legend states that leftover crushed prawn heads from a feast were used to make the very first batch, according to celebrity chef and street food expert Will Mayrick, who has five restaurants in Bali and one in Hong Kong. So, yeah, they're called Krupuk in Malaysia, Krupuk Udang in Indonesia, uh, and they're most closely associated with those two countries. So he's on the fence. He's like Indonesia, maybe Malaysia, West Malaysia, 16th century. On the Filipino food blog, Pepper, which, by the way, is a very cool blog, if anybody wants to know more about Filipino food, they say, though it's a popular snack throughout South- Southeast and East Asia, Indonesia and Malaysia are traditionally credited with inventing kropok, with the former having the largest variety of the delicacy in the region. So Indonesia's got more of them. Mm. Um, finally, according to historian Randy Wirayuda writing in Historia, an Indonesian food history site, uh, well, it's not a food history site, but it's a history site, um, Crackers have been around on the island of Java since the 9th or 10th century. That's old crackers. But they weren't prawn crackers. Um, they were made of cow or buffalo skin. But okay. they were crackers. Yeah. So crackers have been around in Java since the 9th or 10th century. Yeah. Prawn crackers. But when have crackers been heads. around in Malaysia? Well, okay, the 16th century. But mm. anyway, they're from around that area. Um, and... I had a look into the fact that Indonesia does have the most varieties of crackers, including prawn crackers. So starting with prawn crackers, Krupuk Udang, there's a a great food blog called A Journey Bespoke, uh, who's an English-speaking guy living in Indonesia. And so he's listed all of the different crackers that are available. So Krupuk Udang, universally known as the shrimp or prawn cracker, uh, even if the following Krupuk are new to you, no doubt you'll be familiar with this one. It's the standard, we've just eaten them. Then there's Krupuk Blek, uh, also known as Krupuk Uyel, Kampung or Puti, which is uh, a cassava starch cracker that's ubiquitous throughout Indonesia. They're kind of thicker. And What's Indonesian, cassava? Cassava is a, it's a root vegetable, but you, you basically make a flour out of it. Yeah. Um, then there's Krupuk Ikan, which is a fish cracker, um, which is popular in uh, areas of Indonesia where fish farming is prevalent. Then there's Krupuk Bawang, which is an onion or garlic cracker that's uh, generally eaten as an accompaniment with meals. So do you remember all these fancy crackers from when you lived there? The um, the, the Krupuk Puti or Black, the, the, just the, um, the cassava ones are everywhere. Yeah, right. Um, and sometimes they've got like peanut through them or like little bits of, um, uh, yeah, little bits of black rice through them and things like that. Um, that's, yeah, that's what you get everywhere, more so than prawn ones. Um but yeah, th- there's a couple that were new to me. There's this one, Krupuk Mie, which is a, a yellow cracker made from a noodle-like paste um, that's uh, sold at roadside markets. They kind of like squeeze it out into like a little flower shape. Um, I'd never seen those ones before. 
And yeah, this is um, going back to the ninth or 10th century, kulit, which is a cracker made from dried cattle skin. It's particularly popular in the Minang, uh, Minangkabau area of West Sumatra. I wonder what to find. It sounds like you can make a cracker out of everything. I wonder what kind of things are best suited for the mm. cracker. It sounds like you can go from any kind of meat to kind of root vegetables and yeah. they're all kind of delicious. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 um, I think that guy, Will Merrick, does uh, like a pork cracker as well at one of his restaurants in Bali. So, yeah, um, maybe that's a little little summer project. Mm, <laughs> maybe with my air fryer. <laughs> I did well, and I did come across a few recipes for making prawn crackers at home. It doesn't look that hard. It's just very time consuming, yeah. and you got to really let them dry dry out for a long time. I also was looking into this because I love prawn crackers as well, and I read something about doing them in the microwave. Mm. I'm like, surely that won't work. I didn't try. No, I didn't try. But uh, you know, I do buy one goring in the microwave, so True. no reason it couldn't work. What is the worst thing on the menu at McDonald's, in your opinion? Well, I don't venture very far. Probably one of the, like, chicken-based things. Yeah. Like the McChicken? Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the McChicken either. But I would say worse than that is the fillet of fish. Incorrect. Really? You like them? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because I was going to say I don't know anyone that likes them. I like them. But you never go to Macca's. I do. No, I go to I I go through the drive-through <laughs> okay. all the time when I'm on my way back home these days. Well, I ordered one as an adult like a few years ago, mm. and it came just like half disassembled in the wrapper. Like the Macca's person, just, they don't care about them. They just cook the them like threw always, it across yeah. the freaking room. No, you're right, they're an afterthought. Yeah, but, um, they have so much like disdain for them. A good drive-through snack as I've learned from living in regional Victoria, is you get a cheeseburger and you get a fillet of fish and then you've got your meat-based uh, <laughs> snack taken care of and then you've got something a little crispy, a little something on the side. The buns are very steamed and quite Yeah, they're soft. cheeseburger buns, aren't they? Yeah, but they seem like steamier and softer. That's true. I think they – well, yeah, they're not steamed. Cheeseburger buns aren't steamed, but you can ask for them steamed. Oh, like I reckon fillet of fish, fish buns are steamed. Yeah, they would be. Yeah. But – I've okay. derailed you by liking I know, it. I know. Okay, moving on. I hate them. You I know hate that them this still. is the prawn episode, right? I don't. I know. Just let me freaking get <laughs> okay, to it. Okay, okay. So basically. So they're delicious. Like oh, you just, okay. Yeah. Set the scene. People who don't know, they're like cheeseburger buns, probably steamed with a square white fish patty, yep. crumbed and fried. There's cheese um, and there's tartar sauce. Yep. Okay. But the fillet of fish has a cousin who is still part of the Filato family, mm. but they're doing things right. So it's the Ebi Fileo ah. from McDonald's in Japan. And it's kind of similar to the Filato fish in that it's a patty of prawns crumbed and deep fried, but there's also lettuce and two kinds of sauce. One is a mustard and the other is like a Thousand Island dressing style sauce. Yeah. Okay. And it's also assembled correctly. Is there, che is there cheese? No cheese. Mm. Um, I love the cheese in the fillet of fish. Okay. It's, it's incorrect. Well, I mean, we yes, know, so, know, do, so do I, <laughs> which is why I get a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, when I got the, one of these Ebi fileos in Japan, it was so like 
life-changing. It was like one of the reasons I went to Japan, to be honest. And they have a bit of a cult following. One of the first results when you Google this burger is one of your favourites, Ben, Melissa Leong shouting its praises. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I mean, you had me at, at deep fried prawn, but, you know, if Melissa's into it, I'm, I'm double into it. Okay, so on escape.com.au three years ago, she said after her flight to Japan, she gets, quote, if I'm honest, a quick snack at McDonald's because no trip to Japan is quite complete without an Ebby burger. Fillet of fish will always have a place in my heart, but a deep fried prawn burger is another thing entirely. So I'd argue that she's right in the fact that a deep fried prawn burger is another thing entirely. In the fact that a fillet of fish is filth and an Ebby fileo is heaven sent. But can I give you a timely update? Mm. This isn't the only prawn-based item on the menu at Macca's in Japan mm-hmm. at the moment. So where do you stand on chicken nuggets? Uh, they're a necessary evil. Okay. How are they necessary? Sometimes I need to uh, throw them at my four-year-old. All right. So I can keep <laughs> driving. Okay. Well, I... But they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. I don't it's, like it's, them. The, it's contingent on the sauce, and I like their mustard sauce. Yeah. I think they're rubbery and one-dimensional. Yeah, that's so, true. And I also d- never got them as a kid, so I don't really have that nostalgia. I link. don't think they were around when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Macca's in Japan is doing puri puri ebi purio, which is shrimp nuggets, which is like shrimp paste and real shrimp deep fried. And puri puri means tender, and purio is a play on phileo, so they also have salt and pepper and garlic seasoning and they were first released in 2006 as limited edition, but now it's back as a limited edition as of September 2023. And by the TikTok reviews I've seen, they sound like super juicy and crunchy. Like they just look so freaking good and they come in this little sealed cardboard box that you like undo the clasp and it, oh my God, it looks like elite. Um, and so if any of our listeners are currently in Japan, you should definitely try and eat these delicious prawn dishes and also smuggle some back through customs for me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back home from Japan, Emily. Uh, have you spent a lot of time in West Ballina? Remind me where that is. Uh, it's in the northern yeah. northern New South Wales. I've spent a lot of time in northern New South Wales in Kingscliff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not but not, not West, West Ballina. Ballina. Have you been to the Big Prawn? No. Uh, I haven't either that I can recall, but it has its own listing on Atlas Obscura. I'll tell you a little bit about the Big Prawn. At a height of nearly 30 feet and weighing almost 40 tonnes, this prawn boasts the title of the world's largest artificial prawn. The supersized sea creature was constructed in 1989 as an ode to the local prawning industry. It underwent additional work in 2013 to give it a proper tail, as it originally lacked one. That's nice of them. Uh, it was originally built in West Ballina's transit centre, um, which was positioned on the main highway that passed through town. After years of disrepair and the construction of a bypass that re- rerouted the highway traffic, the Ballina Council voted to approve the prawn's demolition public outcry and a private investor came to its rescue. The prawn was given a fresh coat of paint and was relocated a short distance from its original location to where it currently stands outside of Bunnings. Oh, lovely. I reckon they should do like prawn collabs with Bunnings. Yeah. Like have some kind of delicious prawn treat on a barbecue. Yeah, prawn prawn, prawn sangers. Um, So... That's pretty Aussie. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to get rid of your big prawn. No, no, don't. We'll just move it to Bunnings. But I can go one better. There's a second big prawn. 
Okay. And this one is in Crangan Bay on the New South Wales Central Coast between Newcastle in the north and like Tuggera or Tukli. And Tukli. is it a bigger prawn? It's not bigger, no. Um, it's it's quite a bit smaller and it's smaller again uh, as this new story uh, will will highlight to you. This is from the St George and Sutherland Shire leader. Has withstood the test of time, surviving a devastating bushfire in 2013, but now the big prawn has lost its head. The giant <laughs> fiberglass crustacean that sits adjacent to the ruins of the Big T service station on the Pacific Highway at Crangan Bay in New South Wales has been decapitated. The culprit behind the beheading is yet unknown and the big question is how did they manage to carry out such an act? Mm, someone's but, trying to eat it. <laughs> maybe. They're just going head first. <laughs> That's where all the funky flavours are. Uh, Budgeway resident Brooke Hughes said she was told by a friend on Saturday night that the big prawn was missing its head and it was definitely there on Friday, according to her. We went on Sunday morning to see for ourselves and yes, it was gone. She said looking around the base of the icon, she noticed its legs had been left laying on the ground along with grinding discs from like an angle grinder. Uh, The prawn was built by Lake Macquarie local Shane Simpson, which is a pretty good Aussie name, in 1991 and has been quite the local fixture. So... Yeah, bad news for the second big prawn. Um, but I just feel like this story just rolls up a whole bunch of things. So not only do we have a big prawn, we have two. And the shitter of the two <laughs> is on top of a derelict servo. And the good one <laughs> is outside of Bunnings. And someone cut the shit one's head off with an <laughs> angle grinder. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Australia. Okay, what did we talk about? I talked about poo shoot gate, then I talked about air fryer prawn toast and unleashed my inner bogan, and then I explored the prawn items on the Macca's menu in Japan. I talked about prawn cocktails and where they came from, and prawn crackers and where they came from, Indonesia, and then I talked about the big prawn and where its head went. Mm. So you can vote for who you found the most interesting on Instagram, it's Ingridopedia. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, you should sling us five stars because that would make us very happy. Sure would. Bye.